You are now listening to Out of the Blank. 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 Well, welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with Ellen Rizzo. Heyo. Ellen, tell me a little bit about yourself and what do you do professionally? So I am, uh, I live in Baltimore uh, with my husband and my three-year-old and I am a licensed mortician. Um, right. Licensed, oh, go ahead. Well, hang on a second. You said Baltimore, so I have to ask, how do you pronounce the days of the week? Oh, man. See, now I'm originally from Delaware, so does that count? Hey, that still counts. You had developed that Baltimore accent. I didn't know that I had one. Um, I guess just living so close by, but like I'll say something and be like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, on Monday. And then like, what'd you just say? I'm like, what? They're like, Mon did you say Monday? Like it's a mix of like a Sunday. And like, what comes after Monday? And I'm like, Tuesday. They're like, no, that's not, that's not it. That's not right at all. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, no. Oh, Monday, Tuesday. I don't think I have it. Wednesday, oh. Thursday, Friday. So I'm the odd man out. You are, yeah. But you I'm, did mention you like ketchup on your eggs, so. I, I sure do. Um, every day of the week. Every day of the week. Man, I'm telling you. When I see that, I'm like, well, there's savagery here. It's like getting ranch on your pizza, which apparently is really good, but that's still just, it just doesn't look appetizing to me. It's good on the crust. I wouldn't say you don't mix the ranch with the cheese. All right, I believe that. I mean, I don't know why hot sauce works on eggs, but when I see ketchup, it's like, no, 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 no. Now we're crossing state boundaries. I don't like this. <laughs> yeah, I don't do hot sauce. I can't get down with that. But you I'm said, a wimp. You said you are a licensed mortician. I am, yes. So what exactly does that entail? Is that anything like a funeral director, or is that more of dealing with the um, kind of the corpses in general? So it's, it's actually both. Um, in Maryland, uh, licensed mortician means that you could do everything with um, decedents and, you know, on the front end with the families and things like that. So everything from arrangements with families to, you know, doing embalmings um, and everything in between. Can all right, I got a lot of questions. I actually recently, you were going to be my first person ever that has been a funeral home director, but then like randomly I was talking to a chef and he was like, oh, I do a funeral home thing. I'm like, it's a good thing I had him on before you because now I can ask some like real serious questions because the other questions I was asking for him were like, uh, like a, what a 12 year old would ask basically i was i had so many i was like do they get all the ashes into the urn when they do the crematory like how do you know if you're not getting a piece of somebody else and he's like i don't know man i'm like do they use a shop back and it was I, I was going all over the place but right right when it comes to being a mortician how'd you get started even to first of all doing that like that's not a job that a lot of people are signing up for no uh it's not so i um i was like petrified of death um, when I was a kid and I had like really bad OCD with it. Like that my, one of my parents was just going to drop dead. Um, and then at 13, my dad had a massive heart attack in the middle of the night, at 41 and dropped dead. Um, so it got me kind of intrigued and I had to get over that fear. Um, so as I was, you know, going throughout middle school, high school, um, I just figured, you know what, uh, you know, I've had to deal with it head on. Maybe I could help other people. Um, and that's, that's pretty much how it, how it started. 
I had the tiger. You had to literally, you were afraid of death and you wanted to get a job that was around at 24 seven. That's common with a lot. Yeah. Of and the OCD thing too. I, I think I had that when I was a kid, I would always walk in and out of room and I had to flick a light switch like 45 times to make sure my parents didn't die. I don't know hell yeah. how the hell I uncovered that riddle, but I remember my dad just going, what are you doing? I'm like, I got to flip this, you know, do this thing. So nobody dies. And he's like, you know how much that's charging me on electric? Every time you flip that switch, that's like 25 cents. And I'm like, but you Damn. were saving a life. I was like, bro, is, 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 is it really, it's worth it, man. I mean, someone gets to live. I just have to flick this 50 times before we leave the house. And if anybody interrupts me, I got to restart it. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I was, I was the exact same way. I had to, you know, not step on a crack on the sidewalk and same thing, you know, with the light switches, I, it was like people use OCD kind of, you know, they just throw it around, but I think I like legit had it. Um, well, it's weird because we're living in an age now where like mental health and all this stuff is starting to get like really super looked at and it's yeah. becoming very, very popular. Um, just people getting diagnosed and it seems like they're just writing off waivers. Like, do you really have depression? Like, how can I tell? You know what I mean? It seems like the people that really kind of like, oh, I don't have it seem to have it the most. And, uh, you uncover some things. Like I went through school and when I was going through school, nobody really knew what ADHD was. And they would say, it's all in your head. I'm like, well, that's the problem. It's in my head. I can't not act this way. I cannot be hyper. And they used to um, like send me out of class all the time. Like, I can't, I just can't handle it. you. Get out of class. I'm like, okay. And they try to convince my parents I was like mentally challenged. But back mm. then it was just so unknown of what it was. Like very few people had it. And then suddenly, like when I was in high school, everyone started coming out saying they had ADHD and everyone was getting medicated for it. It's like, man, that just dives into a whole nother realm. I'm glad we're looking at it more on the basis of nutrition, but we're always uncovering something new every single like 10 years. And when it comes to leaving like being around like bodies and stuff like that, like, doesn't that freak you out at all? Like I always see like with CSI or something like that, you'll see like there's a dude with headphones walking around like where all the bodies are and stuff like just pushing them around and putting on like gloves and stuff like not caring in a world. And for a lot of people, they would be stopping dead in their tracks when they see a body. I mean, the whole fact is this like it's you have to be, I guess, a different type of person. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely takes a different breed, as we say. Um and it is something you have to get used to, but yeah, it does become just, you know, it, it's what you do. It's just, it's just like baking a cake, except it's not a cake. It's just a dead person, you know? It, and it's probably a little <laughs> different when you're putting a cake in the oven compared to when you're putting somebody in a um, cream, 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 I don't even know what the name of the thing's called. Crematory. Crematory. Yeah. And, and it is, I mean, it totally is, but, um, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it's what you do. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times you have to just, you know, your main focus is, especially when you're preparing someone, um, you know, you're thinking of the family and it's like, okay, you know, I want to make this person look, um, you know, their absolute best for the family's sake. You know, you want to have them be comforted and, you know, comfort them yourself. And it, it's just, it's just your job, you know, it's just, how it works. How challenging is it to be able to, first of all, dress them up for the occasion as well? Like, 
I know when you're doing an open casket, it's in some cases you can't do that based on how the body is. Like if someone gets into a horrific car accident, it's basically just let's have it closed. There's no way you can gloss it up to make it look good. But it's it's a moment where people want to say their last goodbyes. And you got to that puts a lot of pressure on you as a person, mostly because you don't ever want to, you know, kind of do your job and then have it not go out a hundred percent such as like it doesn't look a hundred percent right or people are not happy with it. you want to make them presentable and you want to make sure like that's what I remember them like absolutely and you know being here in the Baltimore area um you know unfortunately we're presented with that more times than you know probably somebody out in the midwest you know on a farm um, just cause of all the crime here and, you know, overdoses, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you try your best and if, if something is not fixable, uh, we always at least try to do something for the immediate family. So say if somebody was in a terrible car accident or, you know, got shot in the head and they weren't viewable, something to that extent, um, you know, we could always, cover those parts of the person and at least let them come in and hold their hand, you know, or something like that. We always try to do the best that we can with what we're working with. Um, you know, yeah, some things really aren't, like I said, you know, hold their hand or if they had like a special tattoo, we could take a picture of the tattoo. We've had people, you know, get that same tattoo on them, you know, and that, that helps them. So whatever will help them is is what we try to do. Um, of course, without crossing that you know the line of making them feel comforted and totally scarring the shit out of them. You know, it, it's a fine line, but we we absolutely try to do the best that we can. What's um? Do you ever still get those moments where you have like really extremely hard days going into work, like dreading it, or maybe even after a long day or something, you're like, wow, like I, I still am impacted today by just the amount of I, what I experienced today. I feel like either after a while you go completely numb to the whole situation in general, or it just becomes like there are those days that caught you off guard or something. Like maybe I don't know if you ever seen Pet Cemetery, but whenever that child got hit by a car. I cried. Okay. I will admit to that. Like that was a moment I was like, whoa. And that really hit me in deep. Like sometimes you get those movies like Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio. I cried uh -huh. probably for 45 minutes straight. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, totally. They, so they always say uh, in funeral service, the, the moment that you stop feeling things or you become numb is when you need to go, you need to retire, you need to find another job. Um, cause then you lose all the compassion for the families, which is hopefully what you're in it for. Um, so no, there, there are most definitely days where thing, you know, you're dealing with a family that has, you know, a specific, what, whatever happened, whether it's a child or, you know, someone just young who, you know, maybe in their twenties or thirties who had children or the parents or, you know, anything like that. Of course it, it sucks. And the good thing about you know, especially the place that I work, um, we're all really close knit. So when we do have those weeks, because usually it's like a week instead of just a day, you know, from the time that you initially make contact with the family till the time that, you know, you're saying your goodbyes to them, you know, at the end of the funeral or memorial service, whatever it may be, that whole week absolutely blows. Um, and you know, your coworkers are usually like, uh, you know, don't worry about this. I got this, you know, and, and they'll deal with something else just so that you can mainly focus 
on that family because it is draining. And even I come home to my husband and he's like, I could tell, you know, he, he knows when things are rough at work and it, it's, it's just well, a part of the, it's the in beast. the, it's in the air. Like when you go to oh, a yeah. funeral home, I mean, it's, 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 it's everybody like maybe joking around or being happy outside. Not that the person's passed away, but that they get to see each other and everything. Like it's right. like really when you're going to a funeral, if they're close family or anything, or if they're distant families where everybody comes together and it's like, you're seeing people that you haven't seen in forever. Like I met my uh, dad's second cousin, third cousin, all these people that I had no idea who they were at like the age I went to this funeral. Right. And I was like, what? You're like, you're my second uncle. Like, what does that mean? And he's, you know, big guy, redneck. Um, he showed me a bunch of pictures of uh, like um, his son that was in Iraq and everything at the time, sending up pictures of these things called camel spiders and all this. And I was like, this is crazy. Like I had never met this guy before. He's wearing snakeskin cowboy boots. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But I, 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 I guess that, I mean, I'm wearing like board shorts or something like that, but you know, I was dressed for the occasion because it was a funeral, but it's like a bunch of people coming together, but when you go inside, the air changes. It's like everything gets sucked out like a vacuum, and it's really, really silent. It's really kind of like uncomfortable. They usually have a little bit of music playing in the background, and it's in no fault of the funeral home or anything. It's just really hard to make death enjoyable, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's we we always say, you know, it's not your run-of-the-mill 98-year-old, you know, old lady who lived a, a great life. You know, we'll take those every day of the week. It's everybody else that sucks. Um, you know, it it's just the nature of the beast. And the, yeah, when it's I, a child, it's, it's, it is the worst. I that, mean, there's not even words to describe. That never even crossed my mind. I mean, the fact you're a mom, too. Like, when you see a kid come in, like, how bad does that hit you? Like, I mean, it's for, terrible for me, it's... like I've had friends pass away. I've had people mm -hmm. like my own age, you know, there's always that one person when you're about to graduate high school that ends up going in like a car accident or something. Right. And like when that happens, like everybody's like, like hurt and drained down, but like, it's completely different when you see, you know, like, like you're saying a 98 year old, like I, my great grandma passed away at like 96 or 95. So right. everyone was like, it was her time, you know, she's in a better place. And it was like acceptable. But you see exactly. a kid in their 20s lying in a casket. You're like, whoa, hold on a oh, second. Yeah. What happened here? And it's like, a, if yeah. you hear, especially in Baltimore, too. I mean, no offense to Baltimore, but there's a lot of crime in some of those areas, too. And Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of people that get misled and go down a wrong road. And you never really know what happens until, bam, next thing you know, you're gone. And then, you know, your mom's got to come to your funeral. I mean, I've always heard my parents say, and then even my grandparents say, you never want to die before, or you, you want to die before your kids. You never want to watch your kids die before you. I'm like, ah, oh, man, the amount of emotions that you probably feel just being a mom in general, looking at someone that you can basically relate to your kids being in that casket. Absolutely. And that those are the absolute worst. And we're, where I work, we're, um, we have six directors total, me included. And we're all young. We all have young kids. So it's kind of like nose goes, you know, when, when a call like that comes in, because and we, we, I mean, we're good about it. We take turns and, um, you know, if like my son is three, if we had a three-year-old boy, all the other directors would be like, no, you're not taking that. I'll do it. You know? And, um, so we're all pretty good about it in that sense. We all look out for each other because we know what it feels like. And it, it does it. There's no way around it. 
it absolutely sucks. And it, it's almost like there's more pressure because you want to do, of course, you want to do your best for everybody, but you extra want to do your best because you feel so freaking bad. For, yeah, you, you, you know, basically the, the put parents. yourself in their shoes, you know, you tr- exactly try and, yeah. relate, <clears throat> try and relate as much as possible. Um, just being able to understand their situation too. And it's, it's really, really kind of strange because uh, it's, it's a difficult situation, obviously to be put in, first of all, especially if you're going to a funeral and you get to see a loved one there, but emotions are all over the place. You know, there's people mm-hmm. that are freaking out. There's people that are trying to hold it in. Like at any moment you do something or something gets out of hand with someone that's at the funeral, there could be a fight. There could be a bunch of different things. You could have two people screaming at each other, like you did this or all this types of stuff. Like it, that's got, that just puts even more pressure on you. How do you try and develop a situation like that? Like, how do you try and calm people down or be able to make sure no one's trying to jump on the casket or something like that? Like I've seen that happen before. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely does happen. Um, and usually you kind of see it coming um through the way that someone's acting you know just at the arrangements you can kind of kind of tell that it might be a little little hairy uh at the first viewing and uh, honestly you just have to you know we stand in the back and you just got to anticipate everything and take it as it comes um you know we have a a saying hurry up and wait you know that that's like a lot of what we do it's you know we, we feel like we plan a a wedding so to speak in 3 days and yeah, everything is, you gotta go, gotta go, gotta go, you gotta get it done, you gotta schedule it, and especially with, you know, the way that families are gonna receive uh, their feelings once they come in, it's the same way, we treat it the same way, okay, you know, they're here, and then you wait, you, you know, see what they do, and you just have to react, a lot of it is, you just have to know how to react um, in the moment, because you, yep. you don't know what's gonna happen. Do you have a certain experience that you've had that really sticks out into your mind? Like that always kind of pops in a little bit, like either, either it was really super bad or whether it was like a super good one. Like you just saw a, kind of like a bunch of people like feeling at peace and it was like kind of made you look at it a little bit differently. I mean, I know it sounds weird to say to have a good day at a funeral home, maybe like less people dying, but there's obviously got to be some of those moments where you're like, wow, she was really loved or something. Absolutely. I mean, there are definitely, um, you know, people who lean on us um, more than others, families that lean on us, on us more than others. I um, had a family a couple weeks ago that I just, I felt so bad for the man. He lost his daughter um, and he was very just naive with everything. He's never done it before. And of course, you know, the first time that you're having to deal with a funeral home, you want to, you don't want it to be for your daughter. And he was an older man. And, um, it, it was really just, it was touching. The whole thing was touching. He was so appreciative. I felt so bad for him. And we just had a good, uh, connection, I guess you could say. And those are the days that you walk away feeling absolutely heartbroken for the next of kin. Uh, but at the same time, you do really feel like, you're helping or you did help him and he was so pleased with everything and and it doesn't just end at the funeral I always tell families you know if you need anything at all if you need to talk you need question or you have questions about something you know anything that I could help you with any of the affairs um, you know please let us know and and this gentleman did reach back out to me a couple times afterwards just about like hey I have a question about this what about that you know and 
it's just a feeling that I, I know that I'm, I'm, I'm helping him, which is the whole point, you know? I really think you just changed my perspective on this job in general. Before, I thought it was like, who could be like, how could you be so like kind of just numb to all the stuff that's going on around you? But I realized the major benefit you're pulling out of doing this job, that it's not selfish at all. It's actually so helpful. You're really doing what a lot of people need nowadays, and you're being there. You're being a wall. You're being a support system. Like if they need it, you're there. You know what I mean? How many times do you have a rough day? You just want to come home and talk to someone. You just want to, that connection. You want to feel like you're being heard. And especially when you're in so much, like, I guess, angst or just anguish in general, when you're dealing with, first of all, a death, like those are moments that you're at your weakest sometimes. Absolutely. And you really just want somebody there to be like, Talk me down. Talk me from the ledge. Like mm-hmm. I have lost everything. Like I'll give you an experience. Like I went to uh, my great grandmother's funeral and I ended up going to my great grandfather's funeral as well. Those are the only two funerals I'm ever going to go to. I'm sorry, but it's like I went at a young age of like 14 to go see my great grandma get buried. Right. Now, let me tell you about my great grandfather. He grew up in the 20s. So I watched this man hammer a nail into his thumb and brush it off like it was nothing. He's like, we got to get this fence post done. I'm like, dude, you just you just literally punctured a hole straight through your thumb. He's like, I'll worry about it later. Let's get this done because we got to make hay while the sun's still shining. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but you're bleeding on everything. <laughs> right, right. But when I went to the funeral, you know, everything was – it was really hard to watch because the immediate family goes up first. Um, mm-hmm. we said our goodbyes and everything. And then I watched my great grandfather go up and you could see him trembling a little bit. I mean, he'd be married to her for 70 something years. And, uh, it was heartbreaking for me. But then when we went to the cemetery and they were reading the pamphlet, like, I, I don't know, is, is that part of your job too, to kind of read the last goodbyes or kind of send them off? Usually that's the minister, but yeah, we're there for it. That is probably the most emotional part. Because I'm sitting there and like, if you would have read the pamphlet on a different day without all that leading up to it, you would have been like, all right, it's just the basic kind of sap, little kind of like goodbye, send off type thing. But it impacted so much more because you had experienced so much more before that. So I'm sitting there reading this and like, you know, her sunrise was this. And then like when it gets to the ending with the sunset, I just see my great grandfather crying and I'm like. I started the ball. Like I have never seen that man. And then like, it was even crazier um, watching that emotion too. And when we're putting her in her um, kind of, you know, in her grave slot or grave plot and everything, his was right next beside her. And he get to, he got to see that, like that has to be the biggest mind freak in the world. Like looking at where you're going to be placed next. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, it, it's 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 crazy like i do give you guys a lot of credit and i i respect it so much too i mean i think what you go through is is an amazingly difficult job um but it has an amazing benefit too with the fact that you're basically helping a lot of people in a way that we don't really focus on you know therapists listen to your emotional problems which is needed but who's there besides just talking about grief and talking about what passed but who's there in the moment to you know set up everything to make sure that you're able to really remember them in the best way. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's what we have to focus on. I mean, we, we get asked all the time, you know, I don't know how you do this and you know, how do you do this from families? And my, usually my answer is, 
we focus on the living, which I know when you think about funeral service, that's the last thing that you think about. You always think about the dead person, but funerals are for the living. Um, and that's, that's just the, the truth. So that's what we focus on is, you know, what, what does the family want for their loved one? What is going to make them, you know, rest a little bit easier at night, knowing that they put their loved one to rest the way that they wanted to. Cause I mean, if you're dead, you're dead. You, you know, it doesn't matter to you, the dead person. It is solely about the living. And that's, that's definitely what we have to focus on. Now, can you take me into a little bit of like your embalming process? Like what do you exactly like the steps you have to do? Because from what I've kind of heard is like they suck all the organs out and then they fill them up with like this jelly or this type of, I guess they call it embalming fluid. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's supposed to keep their body kind of a little bit. It's cold though. Like when you touch them, they're, they're cold. They're not warm like you would think. Right. So, I mean, the organs stay in. Nothing really, maybe someone was talking to you about an autopsy. Um, but if if we're doing an embalming on someone who passed away of natural causes, there was no investigation with a medical examiner or anything like that, um, it's it's a pretty simple process, I guess. Um, as far as what the public needs to know, but it's, it's removing the blood from the body, um, and replacing the blood in, in the veins with embalming fluid. And the embalming fluid is mixed, um, special for each case. So if someone has a lot of edema, then you would add, uh, different fluids to your mixture to help with that. Uh, a lot of like mortuary school was, uh, we always joked and said it was like being a doctor of the dead. So everything like people who have cancer, who have gotten pumped with, you know, all these medications and, and just things, radiation, they're a lot more difficult to embalm than, you know, someone who passed away peacefully in their sleep, just because of, of course, what the medication, the radiation, you know, all that stuff does to the body. And then we have to kind of assess that and mix a fluid that is going to work with whoever it is on the table. Did you, um, um, if it, did you come across any doctors in your more uh, like your mortuary kind of school education? I feel like um, when you watch like a lot of doctors, like it's sometimes it's very hard for them, like nurses or people, students that are trying to train to become a doctor. When they're going through nursing school, they start off on working with cadavers and they find that some of them can't really poke an alive person. So then they kind of end up branching off and going into a different thing like mortician school. I've actually um, a classmate I had, I went to Chicago for mortuary school. Um, which is kind of a, I'm an odd duck in Baltimore because there's a mortuary program in Baltimore. Um, but I'm from Delaware and long story short, I went to Chicago. You wanted that so, dish pizza. I get it. Oh man. It's so good. <laughs> Luminalities, that's where it's at. Um, but no, I, it's actually, I've, I didn't meet any doctors, um, but a classmate of mine who, um, she was in the program and then she wound up doing the opposite. She actually is, I believe, a nurse now. Um, but no, I've never met any doctors in the program. I always just looked at like um, there are some people that can handle the sight of blood. Like mm -hmm. I can handle blood. I can handle all that type of stuff. But then when I'm watching TV and I see like all the bodies laid out and like um, 
you know, I keep for, I know it's, it's so is it called a crematory if they're not getting cremated? No. So what um, well, it'd be a mortuary. A morgue. Okay, a morgue. You're talking about a morgue, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I had a um uh my student driving instructor when I was taking when I was getting my permit, he kept saying, like, if you don't stop at a stop sign, you're going to the morgue, and everything was just <laughs> you're going to the morgue. You're texting and driving, going to the morgue. You don't stop at the yellow light, you're going to the morgue. I'm like, Oh geez. If I get this if I get this test wrong, I guess I'm going to the morgue. And for um, real. But like that, like when I would see on like television, obviously it's all a little bit Hollywood up to, but the stitches that go through the chest, that go through the stomach, that stuff is what really freaks me out. Like I'm interested in it when the person's alive, but when it comes to being dead, just being around it is a little bit uncomfortable. And like you see it, how like movies or TV shows do it. It's like a guy in their thirties or a person in their thirties. That's just like headphones on, just running around flicking toes and toe tags and doing all this type of stuff. And I'm like, how could you be so comfortable around all that? Yeah. And it, you know, it's really funny you say that because I am the complete opposite. I can poke and prod a dead person. Like there's no tomorrow, but you know, you tell me to go get a needle and I'm like, huh. you know I gotta like mentally prepare for it just because when you're when you're dead you don't feel it and I you know that's I guess my mentality is they're not feeling this but when it's someone that's actually breathing I cannot handle it like my mom's a nurse I don't know how she does it I got I think I know what it is how many zombie movies did you watch when you were a kid None. I hate zombie movies. Okay, then that's why. I watch so many that dead people freak me out more than alive people. When I see an alive person, I'm like, yeah, I'll stab you right in the eye. You know, you want your IV here? Bam, right in your arm. You know, but when I look at a dead body, I'm like, yeah, you're just waiting to come up. There's something that, there's a coronavirus outbreak that's going to happen. You're going to pop right up and attack me right now. I know. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, I, I, I'm totally cool with poking and prodding all day long. I could be elbow deep in somebody's cavity but if you're breathing that's a that's a different ball game for me does this cause you to make like kind of look at life a little bit differently ever since you started doing this and just first of all getting interested in general absolutely i am i wouldn't say paranoid i mean i'm using that term very loosely but there is a sense of well i could walk out my door and just drop dead you know um just because you see it happen on a daily basis. People who are perfectly healthy, they drop dead, or people that, you know, just go down the wrong path in life, and then they wind up dead. You, you know, you, you see so many different cases that you can't help but incorporate, you know, those thoughts in your own life, like, all right, well, yeah, I'm going to go run to Walmart, but somebody could run a red light and totally just kill me, you know, and especially when, like, having a kid now that I'm a mom, um, you know, extra uh, precautionary when it comes to my health. And, you know, I want to make sure that I'm around long for him and I'm worried about my husband and, and nothing's wrong. I just have a sense of paranoia because I see so many wild things. Well, you got to look at so many different factors. The fact that we're able to walk and be around like every minute of the day right now, like the fact that we're still breathing and still here today, like that's a, that's a gift itself. There are so many things that can happen wrong. Like you hear about people like the, you know, back in history, they only lived to be like in their thirties and now we're living to be like 90 something, but that's, if everything goes fine, 
That's if we don't get in a car accident. That's if we don't randomly have some organ fail. Like how many times like you hear about somebody passing away in their thirties from a heart attack or something. How did that happen? They just got the blood clot. Like that's what happened. It's like, but they're in their thirties. It's like, you understand that we're literally giant bags of blood just walking around. And the fact that we don't even spill open anywhere is an amazing fact. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's, it's absolutely nuts. And especially like when we have uh, a kid, uh, you know, at work that unfortunately has passed away, we always say, you know, it sounds terrible, but if you hear us out, we always say, please tell me there was something wrong with them. You know, like they were born with some unfortunate diagnosis or, you know, something, because you don't want to hear that they just dropped dead because it just, it makes your paranoia even worse, you know? Yeah, and the only way we can ever really relate to it, it's where people, now, are you religious? Because that's where a lot of people usually turn to. Um, I have, yeah, I mean, I have religious tendencies, but I, I'm not a Sunday morning churchgoer. I try and look at, because um, a lot of people cope with death by turning towards religion or doing a lot of praying and stuff. And I'm like, it, that's, it's becoming the norm now. Like, you're probably seeing it yourself. Like, how often are we're going to start having funerals the same way that we've been having them for hundreds of years. I mean, we're living in this era now, like the hipster generations, the millennial generations. And someone really brought up a good point. Like you're seeing a lot of them not really care a whole lot about their passed away loved ones, mostly because they don't know them that well. Like it's, we're living in this era where like, you know, back in the day you had both parents, you know, you grew up in a household, even if they didn't like each other, you still had your parents, you know, but now we're seeing different separations, people never knowing their mom, never knowing their dad, never knowing this. And you're just coming across so many different things. It makes me wonder, like, especially we're living in a world now where people rather be cremated instead of doing a casket scenario and doing all these types of things or finding better ways to kind of, you know, change up the death process, such as like maybe getting planted or planting a tree or something and then your ashes being infused into the pot and it's like how often are we still going to have funerals maybe a hundred years from now do you think it's going to change into a whole new process absolutely and we in order to maintain um being licensed you have to do like continuing education and a lot of our continuing education like uh seminars are on that because the game is changing you know rapidly it's 100 years ago cremation you know was especially like with the catholics they just came around to cremation and it's 2020 so um it's definitely changing and you just always have you just got to keep up with with the times you know the technology and the different ways that uh people are coming up with doing the disposition of their loved one um that's that's a big part of you know funeral service now just keeping up with the game because it, it, it totally is changing absolutely now hopefully not anytime soon but if you were going to have your own funeral what would you how would you like to go would you like to be cremated you know i when i first um got into funeral service i did not like cremation uh, and I always said, I don't want to be cremated because I know my mom wants to be. And I was like, no, you're not being cremated. Um, now that I'm, you know, 11 years in, I really don't give a shit. I know it sounds terrible. <laughs> That's the best answer I have <laughs> ever heard. <laughs> I, I, I truly don't. You know, whatever is going to 
give my family a peace of mind, go for it. Whether that's, you know, throwing me out on a raft and lighting me on fire. That's what I'm know. saying. Bite yeah. you death. For I yes. look, people laugh and they think it's a joke. I'm like, I if I'm gonna go out, I don't really feel like everybody paying thousands and thousands of dollars for my funeral. I don't really like if anything, just go out to Red Lobster and go spend a bunch <laughs> of money. Like I don't care. And yeah, you know, I mean that's always the event after a funeral. You gotta go out to eat and then kind of talk right. and you know, get over it that way. But no, just party, do something. Like I, I started noticing like throughout history, I got really interested in the fact of um like grave robbing and stuff mostly because mm -hmm. i read this book on 19th century victorian surgery it's called the art of butchery well they talked a lot about like the death process too and some interesting things that i found out like when we look at funerals depending on what your heritage is it's all different i mean if you're dealing with some cultures like to have an open casket where they can smoke drink and party with the corpse you know, have it in there. And a lot of people are just like, I'd rather have them cremated and, you know, on the shelf. I get that. But then it pops into my head, like, you know, the Egyptians used to say that your body is your token to the afterlife. So I'm like, if there is another plane of existence, and you cremate my body, and my body's supposed to be my vessel in the afterlife. So I'm going to be in the afterlife, a pile of ash, because you've decided to burn me. Like, that popped into my head and I've never thought the same since. Yeah. I mean, and, and there's so, there are so many different uh, takes on that, you know, and you see that being a funeral director, just because you deal with different religions and cultures and, and they all have their own way of thinking. Um, which is why I think I, I'm saying, I just don't give a shit because whatever, you know, it, there's so, how do you know? How do you know? How do you know what's actually going to happen? Yeah. Have you ever come across anybody with like a certain religion that decided to, you know, do it in a different way than what you're used to? Um, yeah, the, there are different, um, different religions like Hindu, they have a different practice that, that they do. Um, for the most part, everybody is, is, somewhat the same with just different details i guess um but the the hindu have a very strict way of doing things um and i actually don't really deal with it in here in maryland that was something that i dealt with more in delaware um they like to put the person in the the retort which is you know the actual like cremation chamber they like to do that themselves which is you know something that Holy your average christian yeah you gotta have some do. chest hair to do that one. Oh yeah yeah and um so yeah the, there's definitely different different ways to go about things um as far as the cultures but like i said i haven't really dealt with it in probably like six or seven years since i've been here in maryland but where i was in delaware there was um the funeral one funeral home that i worked at they had a relationship with the hindu culture and they always would come to us because we knew what they wanted and we, you know we were cool with that well it's, it's definitely hard to trust a place that you you know you never you know it's hard to first of all develop a relationship with a funeral home you know just randomly like oh, i'm going to decide to do this so then one day it's a smart idea to maybe because they're basically taking care of everything for you but the thing is like with um 
you know, burials and stuff. The reason why I was asking if you think that's going to shift is because at one point in our history, like a lot of people didn't want their uh, family member buried. You know, it was because mm -hmm. just on the aspect of grave robbing, I yeah. mean, there was a thing that happened with embalming fluids. So back in the day, they used to, you know how they would tell you, like, have you ever seen the big Lebowski? Uh, or he was like, you know, it's going to, the, the coffin, it's a really nice coffin. Or they're talking about the receptacle and everything like that, mm -hmm. like the container they're going to put them in. And they do the same thing with um, coffins too. Like, I, I thought it was really weird. Supermarkets used to sell coffins. Like, that oh. was a thing. Like, you ever seen the movie uh, Employee of the Month? No, oh, yeah, because they were trying to make fun of Costco. Yeah, well, Costco used to sell that type of stuff. They used yeah. To, yeah, that's some weird crap, you know what I mean? Which like, is absolutely ridiculous but yes <laughs> where's your grandma she's over there by the sunscreen in the caskets <laughs> yeah I, I, and, and you know what we have people um you know who say that they're like we're gonna buy our own casket and they're like okay you do that and then you know when it came in the wrong color or it, it you know something was wrong with it it's like well that's what you get for buying it at walmart or you know costco or something you know to, because people and i guess the the undertone is they don't trust funeral homes which sucks but there's a lot of people out there that don't and some funeral home or you know some places cemeteries whatever it may be you know, have given people good reason not to trust them. So it is kind of hard because you have to jump that hurdle initially um, with the family if, you know, you kind of get that vibe from them. But I mean, at the end of the day, we truly just want to help. You know, we're not, we don't get commission. And I'm not, you know, if you buy an $800 casket or an $8,000 casket, I'm, you know, going home and my paycheck is going to be the same. And yeah, that's all on you. But unfortunately, there are places out there that have given us a bad rap. And that's that's the ones that get highlighted in the news. That's the ones exactly, that come across. Exactly. And it's like the good ones, you know, like yourself and the ones that kind of do the proper thing. And they're really just like, I get paid by the hour. I don't need to, you know, I don't need right. to, you know, do anything, steal anything. But when it comes to those aren't the ones that get highlighted. The ones that get highlighted Absolutely. and people freak out about is the ones that are like grave robbing. Like you hear like, hey, wasn't she wearing earrings? I don't know what you're talking about. I'm pretty sure she was wearing earrings. Where did her earrings go? She wanted to be buried with them. Like it's hard to know, especially trust somebody to make sure that that's fully going to go in the ground. You just have to have that peace of mind that they're going to do the right thing. And at one point, especially with grave robbing, I mean, uh, with when we're talking about the caskets and everything, like being airtight. Now, they used to say, like, oh, there would be no dirt or de decomposition of the body, like no worms would get infested into it um, because we're going to make sure we seal it shut. Well, at one point in history, they did this, and when they buried them, a weird thing happened. So that embalming fluid built up pressure in the casket, and they were like pipe bombs underground. They were exploding. And like literally, it looked like someone robbed a grave, like the casket was all blown all open and the dirt would fly out, you know, like just like how it was kind of shoveled in on top. And people started freaking out, thinking that their people were digging up their loved ones. And really, it was just an embalming thing. And there was a thing, too, like, um, you know, people used to bring the body back home with them and they would have it in their house because they were too afraid of leaving their loved one, you know, to go, you know. They didn't want their loved one's jewelry to be taken from them. They didn't want their body to be ransacked. And, I mean, 
I, I, I see where people come from that do the grave robbing thing because it's like easy money to them. But how heartless do you have to be to dig up somebody's love? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, there's, there's some messed up people out there and it's, it's unfortunate, but I mean, we, I don't think we really have to worry about that too much anymore. Um, like you said, definitely in the past. Um, well, do you ever, did you ever get any education or maybe there's like a, like a guideline that you kind of go by, like maybe being warned about it? Because I mean, I'm not saying, you know, Baltimore is that bad, but I mean, there are some people out there that will do anything, especially with how big drugs are getting like. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Um, uh, to be honest, it's more, um, it's more so that people go into the cemeteries and they actually steal, um, like if it's a flat marker, so if it's flush with the ground, there's typically like some sort of like bronze vase that uh like kind of screws into the flush flush marker and people will go into the cemeteries and actually steal the bronze vase and then go to um what are they scrap scrap metal places uh, and sell it get, yep and get money for it and that's actually a big problem here in baltimore versus the you know actual um grave robbers they're they're more monument robbers you know so to speak and so that that is yeah a bigger problem here is the scrap metal just collect some cans man i mean i used to do that when i was a kid i used to just pick up a. you could probably find so many just on the street just take a stick yep and it's and i actually i had a i was at a graveside service and watched a guy come in and he had a backpack on um and the cemetery caught him, but you know, it was like pretty obvious what he was trying to do. Um, but yeah, that that's an unfortunate thing, and that's what's more popular, unfortunately. Well, there was like, I mean, I I get it uh, when it comes to like the aspect of like a funeral home, like with the markers and stuff. I think it is important. But when I remember, like in my local town, like Berlin, Maryland. There's um a, like kind of like a little bit of a rundown church. It's kind of freaky because the bells toll. I don't know who the hell's still ringing it unless it's hooked up onto an alarm because the places look run down for the longest time. And one of the gravestones says literally Indiana Jones. Like, I don't know if that was a joke name or if that is like a real person that's name was Indiana Jones and it just happened to fall that way. But I was like, I'm looking at it. It was a weird like kind of like when you look at the markers it really kind of depends on how much do you love your family member that you're going to get an ex- crazy exotic marker but i'm like i don't think that really shows anything you know what i mean but for a lot right. of people it's like i have to get them a big beautiful headstone it's got to be a beautiful headstone it's like for me i'm fine with like a rock just place a rock down and then write like i don't know something like a joke or something i don't know well and um talking about that and the grave robbing thing um gypsies so gypsies are um in certain cemeteries around here and they will when they bury their loved one the monument that they put on it's usually pretty elaborate but they will um put like jane smith or you know they they put made up names on there specifically so that the other like clans in the gypsy world won't go dig them up and take whatever out of the casket because 
they always vary with, you know, jewelry and bags and money and that's their belief. And so when they do bury, yeah, they, they put them under a different name so that the other clans don't really know who it is so that they won't dig them up. That is really interesting. I actually never knew that. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's definitely something that we deal with here. It's like an East side, Um, West side, like battle, but with gypsies. It is. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know too much about like their different, um, I I mean, I don't know what the politically correct term to say is, you know, as far as their different like clans in the gypsy world, but, um, yeah, they're, they're here in Baltimore and, and that's what they do. It's, it's wild. Cause it's so, it seems so old, you know, old school to do it, but they're still doing it today. It's like, I feel like with gypsies, it's with the battle and the conflict between them is like the same thing for like, while like, um, if you look at like Russia, Russia and, or, um, what do you call it? Romanian kids and Bulgarian kids. They just don't like each other. They just have these preconceived notions of each other. Like, uh, the, uh, the Bulgarians are savages and the or the Romanians are like 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 gypsies or kind of fairy tale like little like high class or something and I'm like because I worked with them and I was like why do you guys think this way and they're just like this is what they are I'm like you're living by preconceived notions of what happened maybe way in the past and still holding it to this day like you don't even know why you're hating the person like that's the same thing with gypsies they've just been fighting for so long it's like we're just going to keep on fighting it's like a turf yeah, no, it, it totally is. And that's why, like, some of the, um, one cemetery around here, when you go in, the monument is a, the front of a Rolls Royce. Um, Damn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's badass. It's, it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's definitely something to see. I see, I sit here and I say, I don't want anything like special when it comes to my funeral, but I do want a badass statue. <laughs> either that or bronze me and put me on the front of a ship nice that i just be feel like, interesting i don't know i want like a cool statue after me even if it's like small or like medium height i just want something that's like i don't know it's like a, a, something cool like an eagle or i don't know something it can even be a banana i don't really care i just want a statue it's like literally just like when you get a trophy for like participation it can be that i just want to know that you tried <laughs> All right, right. I'm sure it could be done. Well, even with the fact, like we're talking about, like the this the matter of life and how precious it is in general, and kind of learning it too. But when it comes to the fact is, if I was going to ask you, if you could live forever, would you take it? No, absolutely not. I f- I feel the same way. I mean, I've asked so many people that question, just like just walking around. Like, if I could give you immortality, would you take it? You know how many times I get the average yes. There's it's, no way. It's Mm-mm. 99% of the time I'm getting a yes. And people ask me, what, what would you do? And I'm like, no, I don't want to live forever. Because I relate it to one movie I saw that really kind of changed my perception on everything. It's The Last Witch Hunter with Vin Diesel. When he's mm-hmm. sitting on the bench with Elijah Wood and they're talking about the city and how beautiful it is. And he's like, I've seen this city before it was what it is now, built upon blood and lies and watched loved ones pass away. And I was like, that's so true. Imagine that. Like, we spend every day trying to prolong death 
trying to make sure it doesn't hit us, you know, taking supplements to live longer. That's all we're doing. We're taking stuff like hair growth. It's like, but when it's your time, it's your time. But we spend so much time trying to chase this immortality. But I think what you got to learn is the beauty of life is the fact that it is so fleeting. It is meant not to last. It's meant to be like a fine wine. Hopefully it lasts long. And, you know, you live to a good ripe age, I would say, but you know, a lot of times you get scratched off this earth, but I think that's what makes your time on this earth more precious. So you want to be doing what you want to do. You know, that doesn't Absolutely. mean going and robbing banks, but how many times, like I watched, I mean, we live in an age now where there's so much, like you can be an entrepreneur, you can do literally whatever you want. Like we have so much information than there's ever been, you know, it's a bad and a good thing. But back in the day, like my grandfather, he had to grow up. He had to grow up. He didn't get to be a kid because his dad passed away when he was in the military. He had to come home and raise his rest of his family. He didn't have an opportunity to chase down anything. And he's in his 60s or close to his 70s. And I see him now like doing a bunch of childhood stuff, like coloring in like like pictures and stuff with my um, little like niece or something. And it's crazy to see. It's like he's getting to be a child, like the time he really didn't have, you know, being able to kind of go out and do his own thing. He had to, you know, grow up. We live in this age now where a lot of people are taking things to granted. I'm like, you don't want to spend all your life on your phone. You don't want to spend all your life playing video games, even though as fun as they are. I admit to it. I did it at one point to myself too, but it's like, grab the world by the balls because you literally don't have a whole lot of time here as much. 90 years isn't anything. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. it's literally, it's going to be gone like that. You know, oh, I've, yeah. I've spent so much time in retirement homes helping out. And first of all, hearing the amount of stories and how many times you'll hear the same story over and over and over again, but you just got to sit there and listen to it. But it's interesting because they're, they're your history. You're, you're living every single day. You're writing a piece of your story. You know, that's what I started to realize. Like when I was doing this podcast, when I talked to someone, I'm hearing your story. I'm hearing, you know, all these different thoughts, all these things that you feel from an combination of just living in general and i'm a good reader but i'm lazy so i rather you tell me it in a conversation rather than me trying to read it in a biography right right yeah so i mean i really appreciate you first of all coming out and doing the podcast in general i mean i know it's probably like uh, you probably get enough of your job as it is but i'm i'm really glad i got to be able to talk to you about it a little bit yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always, um, you know, when Justin reached out to me, I was like, yeah, I mean, I I'm all for it because anything that will show, um, I guess, positivity in funeral service and the fact that we're not all crooks and we're not all out to, you know, take advantage of people at their most vulnerable time, um, I'm for because I love my job. I love funeral service um, and it's about helping people. And, you know, I, I want people to realize that we're, you know, of course there's always bad people in every single thing. There's, you know, cops are supposed to help us. There's bad cops, you know, in the bunch and there's some bad doctors and whatever you can relate it with every single, um, you know, aspect in life. But if I could try to shed, you know, some good on funeral service, then I'm, I'm all about it. Because that, that's the one thing that just, you know, of course, it upsets anybody that's in a position like I'm in, you know, with their profession. You don't want people thinking that you're just some shitty person trying to take advantage of people. But, when, you know, when you're not. So, yeah, absolutely. Anytime that I could, you know, 
be genuine about funeral service. I'm all for it. Now, is this something you want to do, like you're comfortable with doing, or do you have any other maybe passion on the horizon that you want to get interested into? You know, I, no, not really. Um, I like funeral service. I work for an amazing family. Um, you know, I don't work for a corporation. It, it's a family-run business. Um, I love every single thing about them and what I do and our funeral home, um, you know, and brainstorming with my coworkers about how to make things better and what we should do in the future, you know, for our families, all of that. I absolutely love. And I think that that's, this is obviously what I'm going to stick with, but I mean, I like doing dumb stuff on the side. I like crafting and making shirts and, you know, dumb crap like that, but um, hey, it's no, not dumb if you like it, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I make a little side money off of that kind of stuff. But funeral services is it for me. That's that's where it's at. I do have to ask, though, how many times when you're in like being around all the bodies and everything, do you just have a conversation with one of them? Oh, my God, all the time. Yeah, it's people, all the say, time. people like you're talking to something that's dead. Like that's like talking to yourself. I'm like, okay it's okay to talk to yourself it's also how you like critically look at things as well it just gets really weird when you start answering back (laughs) yeah no i all the time i mean when you're embalming and something's not going your way you know with the embalming it i i'd always i mean i always talk to them come on mrs smith you know give it to me yeah you know whatever (laughs) whatever the case may be i can picture you just apologizing like i'm sorry i did this wrong we're gonna have to go in again are you feeling right would you like a juice box absolutely a hundred percent because you know and that has you have to have the respect for the deceased as well so yeah absolutely we i always talk to him. I know we all do. Um, you gotta, you gotta joke in a respectable manner. That's what it exactly. is. You know what I mean? Exactly. Joke around with yourself, not obviously around the families and stuff, but obviously not disgrace a person. Cause that was a person, maybe not anymore. I think a lot of people here, like you gotta have fun or something. It's like, Oh, what are you just creating into a laughing matter? It's like, no, it's just, you deal with an extremely stressful job that a lot of people don't do. And right. you like, it's, it's a good way to help cope with your emotions as well. I mean, being able to, first of all, let off a bunch of steam, let's say, you know, you just had a flat tire or something. You walk downstairs and you got to prep a body or something. You could sit there and just be like, uh, let me tell you what happened today. And then this happened. And I'm like, well, son, like, is it life just going to get any worse? And then you're looking down like, wait, you're dead. Like, it could right, be worse. Right. Oh yeah, exactly. It's never, never a disrespectful thing. Um, and, and I'm, everybody has their different beliefs, but I always, um, you know, I'm into the mediums and card readers and things like that. So if I'm talking to a decedent, uh, I think that they could hear me, you know, I'm not crazy, but I think that they could hear me. Their spirits around. And, you know, if I'm having trouble closing their mouth, I'm going to verbally, you know, outspokenly say, Hey, come on, man, you know, help me out here. Cause I think that they could hear me. And that they could help me. And that's, that's that's not crazy either. I've talked to a lot of people and I have some people in my family that are like Reiki energy healers. And mm-hmm. um, I always talk about like what we were talking about before, like the air feels like it gets sucked out of the room. Yes. It's like that mm-hmm. with energies. People, yes. you're in a place of complete distress. People are giving off such bad negative energy. It's just depressing. It brings you down, you know, and that's why you go out and have fun or you spend a little bit of money or something and it creates more of a positive environment, you know, going out to eat, being able to connect with more people and you totally gloss over what happened before. You know, we give off energies as people sometimes 
your energy is so powerful, you know, it can affect people around you. Um, when it comes to the afterlife, though, and like, you know, people, I've talked to people that have psychic abilities or claim that like all these types of things, I'm open minded to everything, you know, whatever flat earth theory is one that's been really hard for me to be open minded about, but I'm, I can understand it from someone else's perspective. I think as from my own opinion, not from really what I've heard, but I think everybody gives off certain vibes and energies. I don't think it's as clear as the way we understand it to be. I think there's still a lot to be discovered about it. But I also think that like, it's an adaptive trait that a lot of people have. So just being an empath, more people that are in touch with their emotions that are being able to feel emotions off others. Like we've seen Sixth Sense, the kid could see ghosts. Do I think right. that everyone can do that? No. But do I, if I think that there's an ability or a way that we can get that out there, like, have you ever seen the movie um, Push? No. It's with um, Chris Evans where he was like, uh, he had the ability to use like telekinesis or something. And it was like a whole bunch of them that have all these weird abilities. But uh, do I think that we're like that? No. But do I think that at one point in our history, we could probably develop abilities or something such as maybe being able to see a little bit into the future? We have a thing called future worrying where we can worry about the future, like a certain scenario playing out in our head. Is it that hard to think that our brain's just missing a giant, a giant guess, switch or an evolution type thing? I don't know. I mean, it's going to be seeing crazy what the world becomes to. That's why I try and stay as open-minded as possible because you never know where we're going to go. Well, I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate you coming out and doing the podcast. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to maybe shout out, like, if you have a certain Etsy page or something, you're creating crafts and stuff? Come on now. Yeah, I mean, I have a Facebook page, um, Design Depot, um, but I'm totally small potatoes. You know, I do it because um, I really like doing it. Like Justin, you know, with his Harmon Heat, I made him a couple shirts for his YouTube um video for him and Dan to wear and things like that um my brother has a um a body shop or an auto shop in Bethany Beach and I make him shirts but I do it because like my if I make everything or if I if I make things every time I want to make things and my kid is just going to be like that kid that always has a shirt that his mom made on which is not what I want because I mean, eventually he's going to think it's really stupid. Um, so I like doing things for other people because I'm able to craft and then get rid of it, which I guess sounds terrible. But well, it fills the void. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's just I get my fix in and then I'm helping somebody else out. And because everybody's always telling me, well, you got to charge for it, you know, or no, you need to charge more. I'm about to and get like, out of the blank T-shirt. I'm telling you that. I had a, I had I a listener get a merch shirt of my podcast before I did shout out to Pam Hartman. That was awesome. But it was like, <laughs> someone got merch before I did. Like, I don't even have my own shirt, but no, I'll, I'm definitely going to hit you up for a shirt. That, that's totally. I yeah. Need, I, I you, you think of it, I could design it. I come up with different designs. That's what I did with Justin. Um, I have this yeah, idea I'd, of a grilled cheese exactly. floating in outer space. <laughs> And I made I it, do it on the Teespring site. And it's like, it's going to be $40. I'm like, yeah, I don't care about cheese steaks in space that much. Right, right. No, totally. I, You think of it, I can hopefully create it. So, yeah. So what, what's that Facebook page called again? It's Design Depot. 
Design Depot on Facebook, and I'll make yep. sure to link that too, so everyone can kind of go over there and see that too. Because I mean, you're downplaying it. I get it. You're playing it cool. I got you. Got you. <laughs> and uh, hey, look, I I barely have time for shoot, you know, being a mom and a mortician and all that. So yeah, no, but I I do like it. So it might take me, uh, you know, maybe a week more than somebody else, but I'll get it done. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ellen, for being on this episode of Out of the Blank Podcast and stay tuned for our next episode.